Welcome to the Investment Cuddle. I'm Gary and I'm here with Philip. And today on the Investment Cuddle, we're going to talk about pensions again. Yes, because there is more to talk about. So today we're going to talk a bit more on pensions, cover sort of defined benefit and the defined contribution schemes that we get in the UK. And then in the US, there's a 401k and the Roth. So we'll bring also a bit of our experience on transfers and look a little bit into what can you buy in one of these pension schemes are they as flexible as you would get with a standard broker so philip what is a pension well to be brutally honest it's really it's a deferred income it's it's an income that's deferred until you stop working and with quite strict limits on the earliest that you can access it or how old you are when you can access it so yeah so deferred income you're building what some people have described then as a retirement savings plan. You're fulfilling that in a period before you want to retire. Yes, and then it becomes some sort of income afterwards by various different means. So there's, there's a whole load of platforms that offer these kind of schemes, plans, whatever you want to call them. Employers as well. And hopefully if you're, if you're employed, you've taken advantage of an employer's scheme. And if you're employing self-employed, then hopefully you've got one through a reasonable platform. But there's tax advantages with those as well, isn't there? Yes, because effectively, all income that you pay into a pension, up to a certain amount anyway, uh, £50,000 a year, is tax-free. So if you pay tax, it's either put, if it's a company scheme, it's paid out of your payroll before tax is incurred. Or if you're doing it privately, the tax is paid back into it. At basic rate, and then you can claim the higher rate taxpayer if you are a higher rate taxpayer through a self-assessment form at the end of the year. Right. So, the, so the most efficient way of doing it is to get it put into your pension pre-tax. So, the uh, most efficient way of doing it is letting your is joining your employer scheme because they will take it directly from your income before tax. So now tax is paid whether you're higher or basic rate. But also, most employers offer what's called a salary sacrifice, which means technically your pension is part of your your remuneration. It's not part of your salary. So therefore, you don't pay national insurance on the contributions you're paying into your pension. So that saves you another 11% and the company another 11%. Which is all worth having, isn't it? Yes. So, But if you are not there and you're self-employed or you want to make a private pension, you still get income tax free when you pay the money into it which is still worth having it's still a lot of money yeah absolutely so you pay into a pension you can do it tax tax free you can do it after tax less efficient but there's other ways to, to work with that but the other th- side of it is con- contributing to somebody else's pension and this is a bit unique this is in the uk so you can pay into your child's pension as soon as they're born and they can start a pension. The limit is because they're not earning in that year, there is a maximum limit what can go into the pension and still allow you to claim back the relief, tax reliefs on it. But even so, it's worth, you can pay £2,800 in there and with the then tax relief you get put into it, works out about 3600 which is not bad considering you weren't earning. That's as a gift, non-taxable for inheritance tax purposes. Absolutely. So it's, yeah, there's there's a up to, I think, 40% tax relief on that, isn't there, if you're a high rate taxpayer in the UK as well. So well worth looking at those things. 
So there are lots of different options, as we said, in terms of how you pay in. And there's also different options on what you pay into. We were just going to have a quick look at these. And for me, as is often with most investing things that you listen to, it will depend on where the individual is as to what they should be doing, which is I never find particularly helpful because then they always turn around and say, well, then you're going to need to talk to somebody who knows what's going on and take financial advice, which is never a bad thing, but it just doesn't always help you when you're trying to listen to somebody who's saying, well, maybe you should do this. And you're trying to work out whether you are that person or not. So the approach we took with this was trying to look at what products are in the UK and the US and if there's any similarities between them. Right. So in the UK, we've got a defined benefit scheme or DB scheme, as people refer to that. We're not going to talk an awful lot about DB schemes. And the reason for that is because that the other old name for a DB scheme, a defined benefit scheme, is final salary or career averaging. There's nothing for you to do. You join the scheme, the trustees and the companies guarantee what's going to get out of it, but there's nothing for you to do. So for those, if you're in one of those schemes, very good. Um, you don't really have to pay much attention to it as long as your company stays solvent and can still... Uh, maintain uh still honor those benefits however the other one a defined contribution scheme all that is being guaranteed is what went into it how it performs what you invest in now that's up to you so we're going to talk about those ones today yeah because you do have some choices sometimes not many which as you say we'll talk to talk about in a little bit but essentially i mean the, the, the db or the defined benefit schemes now i would say are most common within the public sector I think there's some so there teacher, go- teachers' pensions now, which are maybe average salary. But the, you know, the old traditional, which a lot of uh, the current retired generation will be on, is the is the defined benefit. They just don't exist outside of government employees. Yes, they don't exist anymore. No. So for us mere mortals, most of us will be on a defined contribution scheme. So the other options you've got. So if if you're not employed. And let's say you are self-employed, but your company doesn't have its own scheme. There's a self-invested pension plan or a SIP. You can have a SIP even if you are employed. You can have your own pension scheme. But that's essentially one where you've got, I would say, an element more control. An awful ha- lot more control, I'd yeah. say. But there's also lots of them, being the financial services organisations out there. There are so many names for a pension in the private sector. There's a trust-based scheme, there's a stakeholder, there's a SIP, and some other ones that I've forgotten the names of, but they're all effectively the same thing. They're defined contributions with you with varying degrees of choice, of which SIPs probably have the most choice available. Yeah, and, and so I think that the SIP, as you said, has got a bit more control, and I think for US pension schemes, the individual retirement account, the IRA, is about the closest to the to the UK SIP and basically you can invest your money into that into the things you'd like to invest in and you hope get, and pray at some point in the future they'll be worth some money so you can spend it and you get tax benefits from the money going into it so it's very similar to a SIP in that respect the other options in the US are the 401k which i guess is more akin to the defined contribution scheme that we've got in the UK company schemes not all employers will run those but some do but that's where the advantage there in those ones is your employer makes a contribution. So it's free money that you can have that they wouldn't pay you if you wouldn't get as income. 
Yeah, exactly. So therefore, you know, if you're investing into an IRA or or a 401k, what's the difference? Essentially, you're getting contributions from your employer, which is never worth turning down, frankly. So yeah, you mentioned £50,000 limit on the UK UK pensions, pensions, didn't you? That's total UK pensions. It doesn't matter whether it's a defined benefit, a defined contribution. The only difference is the way they calculate it for defined contributions means it's effectively a lot more than 50k if you were to do the equivalent defined contribution. But that's for another episode where they talks about the nuances between the two and why you're being ripped off if you're not in a government scheme. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was just interesting to me that the, the limit on the 401k in America is $20,500. And a bit more if you're over 50, you can add, add a bit more to that. But essentially, the UK's giving you more options. Much more generous. Much more, much more generous limit, yeah, we should say, shouldn't we? So then you've got the Roth 401k, which is a bit that I have heard these terms before and got slightly confused. But essentially, the the Roth is where you can contribute after tax. So while we said there are options where you would contribute after tax, then you've got a situation where that's probably not the best option because you've already been taxed, but they they are available. However, the other nuances about a Roth is I believe they're a bit more like our ISAs in the UK individual savings account of it's taxed income that goes into it, but anything that comes out is then untaxed. Whereas in a pension in the UK, and mainly like with a um, an IRA in the US, it's untaxed income that goes in, but any income that comes out is taxable if it's over your tax allowances. Yeah, and I think that's quite a nice... That's not a product we have in the UK. The closest we have is an ISA. Is an ISA, and there's not a retirement limit on that. Essentially, the individual savings account in the UK, you can contribute to that at any age, including the junior ISAs, and it's tax-free on the way out. But predominantly, it's been taxed on the way in. in. Yes. I don't I don't know many legal ways of not... <laughs> but no, but everything in there is then ring fence for the rest of it. It's your life. It's tax-free. And you, But the only difference between that and a pension is... Pension in the UK cannot be touched until 10 years before your statutory, i.e. the date, uh, retirement age, i.e. this is the date the state, UK state pension starts. So for mine, 65, which is a current statutory retirement age, they have moved it to 68, possibly higher. So therefore, it's 10 years before that that I can touch it. So at the best estimate of the moment, it is 58 is the earliest I can touch a pension in the UK without punitive tax rates. Yeah. And I guess if your employer is going to essentially invite you to leave at 65, you've got a three-year hole in your um, income, which which is, in I, I guess, there's people living that already. But for us, we're a little bit, a little bit further away. But it's not some, some of us are. But you have to be careful about everything you see in adverts now. They're talking about people coming up to retire in the next year, two years, where they can touch their pension at fifty-five, because that is ten years before their statutory UK retirement age of sixty-five. If you're under fifty-five, that date is moving. Yeah, and I guess that's. It, but it's an important thing to be aware of because if you are doing any planning for retirement and you think you've got fifty-five in mind, and you're not very close to fifty-five now, you need to look at what the date will be when you retire. Because for some of us, you're sitting there going, "Well, this is this is a, you know, let's face it, the government could move it to 60, 62. You know, it's 19. one of those. Yeah, it's one of those. Poss- it's it. This, the finish line is not stationary no. from where I'm standing, anyway. So, so that's we we looked at those different types of pensions. I think 
the thing I was just going to talk about now was transfers. And we're not talking about the things that kids put on their arm with a bit of water and you get a nice colourful picture. We're talking about moving pots of pension pots, pots of money from one scheme to another. Now, these are, I think, you correct me if I'm wrong here, Philip, but the defined contribution schemes in the UK, because that is essentially your pot of money you've contributed to with the employer, you can move those relatively straightforwardly and can, can combine those. That's correct. As long as there's nothing, any rights attached to it that the other side taking it on doesn't want to, like guarantees, they're very easy to transfer. Yeah, and I guess there's a, there's a school of thought that says if you're not, if you've got lots of little pensions, maybe transferring those into one scheme, one pot, as long as the fees, and this is always the thing that we talk about here, is checking that the fees are not going to be punitive to the transfer, then they're worth bringing together into one pot, especially if you've got some control over that. Whether it's a, a self-invested pension plan that you decide, well, actually, I'm, get, I'm getting out of the employer's schemes and I want to put it into that, and, you know, platforms like Hargreaves and AJ Bell and all these other ones, they'll all be very happy to help consolidate pensions and bring it all together for you, I am sure. And there are benefits to it. If you've got lots of small pensions from lots of different employers you've had over the years, it's very easy to lose one. It is colossal the amount of pensions that have been lost in the UK. And they're all basically being looked after for by the Chancellor of the Exchequer. And he's not particularly well-renowned for being fast at giving them back once it's under his custodianship. You just reminded me a bit of Brewster's Millions here, where he's got he's scooping up all the uh, all the points of cents or something on the dollar, and then <laughs> turns up to work in a Ferrari. <laughs> but yeah, not that I would ever suggest that that's what the Chancellor of this check is doing. Or the other one is particularly when you've got lots and lots of small pots, you'll generally be more expensive. So if you bring them all together, what you'll often find with many many personal private pension schemes is the bigger the pot, the lower the fees. May not be a lot. But every penny counts, particularly over more and more years. So that's another reason why you might want to consider doing that. Providing there are defined contribution schemes, all of them, with no guarantees of what you get out attached to them, they're relatively easy to transfer. It's not the case if you're taking anything with a guarantee. So that's particularly defined benefit schemes or any really, really old defined contribution schemes where you opted out of the SERPs, which is the state second income scheme. Now, for a lot of people, they won't have a clue what that means because that hasn't that stopped 10 plus years ago. But if you're in, and so most people that are affected are already coming up to retirement. So there are bits of those where they just refuse to accept them because they had attachments of guarantees of what you get out of them. Yeah, so I, I think the, the challenging one is the, is the defined benefit. Because if you are in a defined benefit scheme and you're still with your employer, I don't think there's any financial advisor that would turn around and say that's a smart thing to move. Difference comes when you're no longer with that employer and maybe the death in service benefits or death out of service benefits have changed and the total pot is not going to pay you as much as you'd like it to when you come to retirement. So you could look at transferring that i think at the moment in the uk they've frozen the ability to do that pretty much in and around when the pandemic started so we'll have to wait and see on that one but it's probably worth just saying that if there is the option to move those pots and it makes sense for you it does take a lot of time to do you do need to get a financial advisor 
and the variation, as 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 you were saying, Philip, earlier on, the variation in fees to get that transfer made can vary significantly. It's always better, I think, regardless of what the pen, the pension pot size is, to get a fixed fee rather than a percentage on the pot. So yeah, I think I think with the defined benefit, it's one of those situations where if you feel it's the right thing to do, and I, th- I guess the other advantage with def- with defined benefit transfers is that part of money if you do go into a self-invested pension plan say you get to retirement and you don't need that money you know some chance but let's say you don't that money can be transferred to your dependents and there's some there's some issues about tax at whatever age that that transfer happens across to the dependents but the interesting thing for me in that sense is on a defined benefits scheme other than your spouse's pension so you'd get maybe half of that defined benefit to your spouse if you pass away. Actually, in the SIP, the transferred defined benefit into a SIP, that whole pot will go to your family, whoever you decide yeah. that beneficiary is. And that's a generational shift that I think is quite significant and perhaps not very often talked about. Now, we have to be very clear here, though. The difference is in defined benefit scheme, they are guaranteeing what you get. You don't have to do anything, no management, no nothing. As soon as you put it into a SIP or any other defined contribution scheme, it's totally your responsibility to manage. You mess it up, tough luck. No comebacks because you're doing it. So therefore, you do have to be really careful about what you're doing and why. Reason One of the reasons I suspect we have uh, basically they've stopped at the moment and frozen all DB to to DC scheme transfers is there is so much mis-selling because people looked, I got a massive sum of money. Some very unscrupulous in, uh, advisors said yes, took massive fees and then disappeared to the Bahamas, never to be seen again. They happened with British Steel, Rolls-Royce transfer and some other big companies not so long ago where they had big slug of people transferring out. So it is getting more and more difficult because for a lot of people, it's actually not the best thing to do. But if you know what you're doing and why, it can be. But because it's a big sum of money and there's big fees here, mis-selling scandals are all over the place. And politicians don't like to be embarrassed. So they just make it illegal to be embarrassed by basically stopping it. So it's going to be difficult. But there are circumstances where it can be in your benefit. But for most people, it won't be. So because it's a change in the risk profile. You've got to, if you do do this, you're managing it. You've got to be actively managing it. You've got to know that you're actively managing it. But if you're not interested in doing it, it's totally the wrong thing to do. Yeah, and I, I think that's absolutely correct in, in the sense that if you're not investing or not interested in investing, don't listen to this podcast. But more importantly... <laughs> more, don't more, consider a transfer. Yeah, don't, don't do the transfer because otherwise you, you then the money will turn up in your bank every month with the, with the defined benefit scheme, as you said, based on whatever fraction of your final average ending salary that they give you based on those schemes. So that money is, as you said, as guaranteed as it's ever going to be. And there are some elements where it isn't. But also when it talks about the, the reason why you only get, you don't see a pot is because the scheme and the trustees and the company run it across all of their members where you're pooling the risk that some will die earlier than others. So the mean is what they work on, but they're knowing 50% will die age greater than this and 50% will die age less than that. But that allows them to offer an easy, low-risk solution to everyone. 
Whereas if you're doing it yourself and you want to do shed, uh, draw down and pay, and use it to pay your pension and pay yourself an aggressive pension, your longevity risk you totally own. No one else. Yeah, exactly. And I think I guess the the final point on the the transfers element and certainly the DB transfer, as you alluded to just a minute ago, if you would rely like to retire early. You can retire early on a DB scheme, but it costs you because your benefit you will get, the defined benefit will be less. So if you're going to go, certainly in the UK, if you're going to retire earlier than 65, it's going to cost you. So one of the benefits of transferring, in my mind, if you are going to manage the pot of money, is that you could retire or use that money earlier. So again, it's based on what that individual is looking to do. But you have then got, I think, in my mind, a little bit more control. As you've said, you know, that defined benefit will be based on a fairly low risk profile of return for for that part of money. So you're, you know, let's say you're investing it and you're making, I don't know what the stock market makes on average year over year, but let's say it's 7%. Your DB pension might be looking at three or less. So you're turning around and going, actually, that's why the payout's going to be lower. So you could do better in theory, but the DB scheme will, whatever it was frozen out, if you've, if you've left that scheme, and that's really the only the only position where you would think of transferring it, I think. Um, but it still guarantees you when you become a deferred pensioner, so effectively where you've frozen paying any more money into it, they're still guaranteed to pay that benefit when you do retire. And with no yeah. management from you. And corrected for inflation. To a point. Whatever that inflation rate is. Measure is officially allowed whether it's a set rate or if it's a variable rate you might do very well but if it's a fixed rate you know again you get some level of protection yeah Yeah. okay so yeah I think just be careful with pension transfers if you're not in the game of um, loving the detail I think the short answer is don't so when we look at company schemes then so we talked about the defined contribution scheme that most companies will offer you when you start and they'll offer you a certain percentage that they pay in of salary against a certain percentage you pay in. I have to hold my hand up and say, I've got no experience of these schemes at all. So what I'd like to know is what on earth can you buy in these schemes? So, okay. Now, there are a few smallish companies which will offer a SIP as their pension platform and you get everything that maybe Hargreaves or AJ Bell or whichever SIP provider offers. They are extremely rare. What you'll get from most companies is you'll get an insurance company-based fund scheme because they're insurance companies. They're the big players in the corporate pensions world. So what you'll go there, that'll be Aviva, Zurich Insurance, Agion, and various other ones I've forgotten the names of. They're the big players in the market. So taking one example, corporate pension scheme that I have is being managed by Aviva. So I pay in a certain amount. Company matches what I pay into there. In fact, they slightly more than match it. So that's a very good scheme. Not everyone does that. And this is the reason why that if you didn't do it, that matching they pay, that's not part, that'll never come to me as income. So effectively, if you don't join it, you're giving up this free income stream in the future because they're not paying into your pension today. Yeah, and I guess just uh, a slight side issue perhaps, but when we have talked about this before, you know, let's say you're getting a contribution of 10%, your contribution and what the employer's putting in. We said before that the sort of golden rule of thumb is take your age, halve it, and that's the percentage of salary you should be putting in. Age 
take your age at the the year you started paying in and halve it, and that's what you need to be paying in. Yeah. Not every year, because it doesn't... The longer you're in, it can be a much lower number. Right. So, yeah, but as you say, that's where you should start. So the idea is, yes, start as early as possible. So you could get in up with a a scheme where perhaps you're getting 12 15%. If there's schemes like that, it's great. But actually, the earlier you start, the better, because as we've said before, it's all compounded over time. And And that's why starting it for a child, they've got 60 years in the market, not 30 years in the market. Yeah, absolutely. Or less if you decided to start a scheme a bit later. So, yeah, okay. So, So with this scheme you've got, you haven't got the SIP option from what you're telling me. So the can't come. I have a SIP, but that's done purely privately. I pay privately into that. But I also have a corporate pension fund scheme that yeah, the company so the, offers. Sorry, sorry, yeah. So the D, DC scheme. So the DC scheme, the company offers, that comes out of payroll. It's just a standard defined contribution scheme. And it happens to be one that's managed by Aviva. Now, what they offer, they offer a range of funds, unit trust funds, predominantly. But what you'll find is they're almost all trackers. To keep the fees down, they're almost all trackers. They're not actively managed in most cases. Um, So you need to be careful about what the hell you are, the fund is actually tracking. And the reason why that is, is most people aren't interested. So they they just pick the default settings that the trustees were obliged to pick for them. Because they're so uninterested in doing themselves, they just pick default, default, default. Okay. And, and you sound like somebody that might... You've either got an axe to grind here, Philip, or you know that's what people people pick. Well, okay. Now, so there is a slight declaration here. In the past, I have been a trustee of a company pension scheme, a DC company pension scheme. So I've seen what happens with reasonably sized companies, what their employees actually invest in and what they actually do. Right. So oh, it's good to know, though, because at least on this podcast where we're normally just sitting there waxing lyrical about stuff we don't really understand, actually, on this occasion, we might know a bit more than usual. So I was a trustee before we had auto-enrolment in the UK. Um, and one of the things we had was we noticed was of those people who were eligible to join the scheme, only just over 50% joined. So that was free money for those other 50%, just under 50% who weren't getting paid into the pension and weren't going to get it as pension. So again, when you look at it from the company side of view, you're going, well, half the employees don't see a pension as worthwhile because they're not joining it. So I'm not going to make it gold-plated because you guys just aren't interested. Is one way it can look when you look at it the other side, going, so let's go around. What other things you actually are interested in? Oh, you're interested in cars. So the car scheme was far more, int- take-up was higher, so therefore they paid more emphasis on that. Because that's a remuneration that most employees seem to care about. Whereas a pension was, well, you think you should be interested in this, but you're not. Yeah, and I, and I think that's interesting, isn't it? That, but I, but it, but it's it's not uncommon, I think, with the fact that pensions are so far off in the distance. You know, we've said this before about talking about you know pensions for children. People generally struggle to get their head around those timescales. You know, a couple of years time. That's fine. I can think about that. Maybe five years time, maybe 10 years, but 50, you know, and I, and I accept the fact that it's difficult, but I think that's part of the reason people don't want to be thinking about retiring when they've just started a new job. But it's also, this company did also have a final salary scheme and it was in that switchover where they shut the final salary scheme and they, all new people started starting on DC schemes. 
And it's one of those ones going, up until then, the company did it. The company managed it. I don't need to. And you're going, no, that's not, that's old, not anymore. You've got to manage it. You've got mm. to manage it. And there is a big change because at the time, everyone goes, oh, you don't need to wait. Just join the scheme. That's the last thing you have to mm. need to think about. And actually then, you're talking about times when the auto-enrollment that we've now got in the UK didn't exist. Whereas now, I think you've got to opt out. Correct. Rather than not bothering in the first place. But the other thing that came around was, again, if you're not actively opting in, what's the bare minimum for the auto-enrollment scheme from the government is much lower than quite a lot most companies will pay in. So quite a few companies will take the thing going, if you're not opting into mine... If I've got to auto-enroll you, I'm auto-enrolling you in the government scheme because it's the bare legal minimum because you don't see it as a value. So I'm not wasting my money on you. Okay. So given the fact that we know a little bit about pensions and we would recommend that people sign up for one if they're in a company scheme or in a company, you've said these guys are offering trackers as you said, lower fees on those, and we accept that fact, but you'd be nice to know what's in those funds or trackers so that you know what you're buying. You'll be tracking the FTSE in the, S- in the UK and the S&P 500 in, or the NASDAQ in the US, right? No. So there are lots of different indices companies out there, although the FTSE is one of the FTSE Russell Group is one of them, which is now owned by the London Stock Exchange. And there's also other ones, such as the MSI Index, and there's lots of other ones. So generally, most trackers for unit trusts won't track the big headline things that you know of. Won't be tracking the S&P 500. Won't be tracking the DAC in, in Germany. It won't be tracking the Nikkei in, in Japan. So in this particular one here, they've got a UK fund. Tracks UK all share custom ESG screened fund. Oh, good. An ESG fund. Hmm. We, yes. love, we love those. So I'm not exactly sure what's excluded out of here, because looking at the top 10, British American tobacco is still in there, and so Shell. Oh, forgive the sarcasm, but do check out our ESG episode. That will probably explain all you need to know. So there. The other one, they've also got a Pacific Rim, so Asia including Japan. What you're actually tracking is FTSE developed world, Asia, excluding Japan. So do know what you're following. My scheme, they offer you UK, Europe, America, emerging markets, Japan, and Asia, excluding Japan. And there's a world one which is based on all of those, but based on GDP weighted. Things you need to be careful about there is when you're looking at these ones for emerging market fund, it's almost all China because China dominates it by GDP. Okay, that's if a good point. If you're looking at the World Fund, America dominates because it dominates GDP fraction. So that's the sort of things you need to just remember. You may be not as diversified as you think. But at least they're giving you the option to try and be diversified. Because I, I, me being of simple brain, I'd like someone to say, well, this is high risk, this is low risk, that's uh, medium risk. And you just click a, click a button and we're done. And say, well, oh, actually, do you know what? I would like to invest in the UK, the US, you know, emerging markets and that's kind of as exciting as i'm going to get are you in this particular scheme then able to pick those individual funds yes or are you right so it's so, not a bucket of things that they so just throw at you. you have a bunch of funds so there's those equity areas you can do there's also one which is a bond fund and there's a there's a government liquidity fund 
which is basically short, as close to cash as you can get without not being cash, but behaving like cash. Um, and there are, I think, one or two, should we say, absolute return funds. And you can pick individually any one or different ones of those type you want. Or you can pick the default, which is, I think, they've picked, which is basically mostly the world fund and one of the absolute funds. And when it comes down and it's sort of on a, what they call a glide path where mostly equities and it slowly changes to more and more bonds and absolute return to try and control the volatility risk as you get closer and closer to your retirement age. So, yeah. So, you, so okay. So, it will drop the risk as you get closer and closer to retirement. If you pick the default fund. Now, there might be some other, shall we say, glide path ones where it depends on what you're going to do at the end. If you're going to use income drawdown, there is a, a different, shall we say, glide path you choose that maybe doesn't all go to bonds. Whereas if you're using it to buy an annuity, it'll all go to bonds. So, there okay. are other options. But it's not a huge plethora. But even that can overwhelm an awful lot of people. Too much yeah, choice. It's- it does strike me there's quite a lot of choice and how you narrow that down if you're not familiar with these indexes and I'll hold my hands up and say the kind of product, products I look at are not these generally because I just look at them and think I, I don't know what I'm buying here and I know you can look into the detail but generally I'm going no I'm it's but if you want more than that you need to leave the company scheme and go private totally I'm afraid but then you're offsetting in this case, the company is just slightly more slightly more than matching what I put into it. If I went privately, I don't get any of that. So even though I'm getting less choice, because I'm actually quite an active investor, it's still, it's not worth the offset of the money that I'll be giving up. Right. So what, then specifically, I cannot go, you can't go into that scheme and pick up, let's say, a UK investment trust. No. You can't pick up Fundsmith or Bluewell. No. I thought I'd get that comment in about those two because we've not talked to them, talked about them for at least half an episode. You can just get a UK tracker. Okay. But you, you can vary the risk down to a view in that bonds are less risk, I'm guessing. But it's a saying. bond tracker. I don't see that. See, I don't like the... I don't, I don't like, like bond either. trackers. I can see a point for index tracking of equities, although some of those I don't like, like when it comes to emerging markets because it's all China because of GDP weighting. I don't like bond trackers, but that's what's on offer because it's cheap. And the biggest thing is cheap. For corporate pension funds, there is a current cap limit of 1% fees. So I can't offer anything exotic because it exceeds the 1% fee. Terry is too close to that. So even he would probably never be able to be offered because he would offset it once you added the platform fee. And that's where you say, in my SIP, I routinely pay a little bit more than 1% fees, mm. total fees. In a corporate pension, I can't. So I can't no. get those offerings. No, and that's interesting, isn't it? Because I guess I don't I don't think in a, in a scheme that you, like you're in, you can go along to them and say, I'd like to buy X, Y, and Z, please. But I think, and I certainly think from the Investor <clears throat> guys that I've listened to have said, you can get, depending on, on, on how much interest you get, you can gather up some employees or go yourself, talk to the company and ask them to include certain things within yes. that scheme. So I think in the US, there's possibly a little bit more flexibility. There's a lot more flexibility. Now, I know Arriva do offer this, but most company schemes, there's just not the demand. So therefore, 
the companies, again, if most of your employees don't see pensions interesting, it's how do I keep it cheap? Because it's not a benefit that the, they think the employees benefit. So I remember there going, no one really asks us about the theme choice. Okay, so I'm going to put words in your mouth now. Are you then saying with that DC scheme that you've got, you've picked the best, worst options for trackers that you really didn't wouldn't own yourself? I think so, yes. And I'm happy to go through what I put in there. So I put in there, I do it actively and it's only equities. I don't, don't want a bonds. I don't want a bond tracker. So mine is 30% America, 20% Europe, 20% UK, and then I think it's 10 Japan, and then between 5% emerging markets, and I put the rare balance in Asia, knowing that the last two, the emerging markets and Asia, is mostly China. However, I don't pay any AVCs. I do that via my SIP. Right, so that's additional voluntary contributions, which is a top-up for your current scheme. Yes, but I don't do those via the corporate company scheme. I do that in my SIP privately, where I can invest in anything else. And now I do the polar thing, the polar opposite of what's not been included in there at the rate or the ratios I like. So basically, I don't invest anywhere in China in my SIP because I have more China than I want in my corporate scheme. Mm-hmm. Do you think you can get the word China into this anymore? China. All right. So, but, but that's how I've done it. Yeah. So, um, but but it's interesting to hear the breakdown because I think, to me, if you're somebody who's picking that up, uh, uh, something new, fresh, whatever you would call it, then it's a little bit confusing. And like you've broken it down into regions, and then maybe just checking you are buying something that you think isn't terribly awful as a tracker is probably the best. Keeping fees low really does help. You only want to pay... If you're paying high fees, it's because you know you're getting some extra value for it. And that's not always easy to actually find the things actually give you extra value. There's plenty of people who charge you high fees. Oh, without a doubt. And like you say, for that sort of thing, if you're investing stuff that you're not 100% keen on, yeah, best option is to go with the low fees. Great. So, okay. So this all seems desperately complicated to me. It's certainly in the DC scheme. As you said, the, D- the DB scheme in the UK, you roll up, you're in it, you haven't had to bother with anything, the company does it for you, and, it, and at the point at which you retire, you get the money in your bank. We're in a different world now, so you've got this DC scheme where you have to try and pick stuff that maybe you don't want to buy, but it's there. Well, it depends how active you want to be. I'm in the extreme case of probably an active investor compared to most people in the schemes. Yeah, so we, we, we probably mm. take a different a different approach, you're right. Honestly, if you then turn around and say, well, I opt out all of these things. I don't want auto-enrolment. I'm just going to manage you know, my money myself longer term. Why are we bothering with pensions? Well, there's three main ones I can think of. And the first one is the company employer contributions. You don't get them. That's part of your remuneration package that the company just goes, ah, happy day, savings. Right. So you're out of pocket, essentially. Yeah. And you are turning around and giving... You'll, you'll, yeah, you, it, you might not be able to spend it today... But But as we said, it's an income deferred. For the future that you've just basically thrown away. And sometimes, even if they're matching it, so half of what you're putting in, the company's paying, not you. Sometimes, if you're lucky, it can be a bit more than that. Yeah, and and I guess putting it in that context, you know, sometimes it's it's so far away that it's difficult to get your head around that long-term plan. And actually, in the short term, there's lots of bills. You know, cost of living's going up. I could do with some of that money to do something else with, would be the, the thought. 
So why, why, okay, fine. We're giving up some money, but I wouldn't have got it now anyway, and I'm interested in now. But you're throwing away huge amounts of money in the future because you've not allowed it for the tax benefits because that is money that's not tax going in there. So actually, it's not the, say you paid 6% of your income in. That's before it's taxed. Actually, when you think about it, of taxable income, if it was just what you're spending, it may be closer if you're a high-rate taxpayer. It's more like four, not six. And if you're a low-rate taxpayer, basic-rate taxpayer, it's more like four on a, well, five? Just under five? So it's you're not getting as much as you think. And also, because of the compound interest, the growth you're expected to get over a longer period of time, that means that when you come to retire, you have an income, deferred as it might be from now, which you won't have. And the later you leave it before you start trying to pay into a pension. So the general rule they used to give you as a guidance was the year you start paying into your pension, halve it. That's what you and you can put a total amount need to be paying into a pension every year, assuming you're going to retire around about 65. So if you start at 20, you, whether it's you and the employer, need to pay in 10% of your salary. If you start at 20, if you start at 30, it's 15. If you start at 40, it's 20. If you start at 50, forget it. Well, we're quite lucky because we're all 27 on this show. Yeah. But, you know, even I can do that mass at 13.5%. So, okay. So, we've got the employer contributions, which essentially is part of your package. We've got the tax-free contributions. We've got the compound interest and the fact that when you start, start as early as possible because it reduces the amount of total salary or percentage of salary you need to put in. I guess the other thing I'd bring out there is when we talked earlier on about looking at other family members, dependents, things like that, you know, there's a generational impact. If you've already, if you're, in, if you're in a good position where you've already set yourself up for your pension and all those things are ticking along nicely and you have additional contributions you could do something with, you know, look at starting that for a, a niece, a nephew, you know, a, you know a, ch- a child of your own, something like that, that then... As, as you said earlier on, Philip, you're talking a 50-year-plus horizon, Reason. which I still can't really get my head round. But if you do the compound interest on 50 years, it's kind of scary. But you don't need to start with a lot because you're in compounding for such a long period of time. You don't need to pay huge sums of money at the beginning. And the only other one, and this is more of a recent one that came out since George Osborne changed what you could do with your pension. Historically, when there's a D defined contributions pension you could only use it to buy an annuity now it's changed you can do what's called drawdown which is more in line with america australia and canada where you manage you don't have to buy an annuity with it although you still can and an annuity is income insurance for the rest of your life so it's not so that's the way you look at it. it's insurance policy again they're going to pay you income until you die so it's death effectively income death insurance so it's a, li- a little bit like the DB scheme we talked about, the defined yeah. benefit, isn't it? But you're, what you're saying is you do a defined contribution scheme or you end up with a self-invested pot of money. And at some point you decide to buy that insurance policy, which is essentially what your DB yeah. scheme used to be. Because it used to be the day you retired, the day you had to buy it. Now you can go, I can defer that to really late. Mm-hmm. I can, And there are some good reasons why when you get to maybe 80, you probably want to have an annuity because I may not have the comp. I might not have the cognitive ability to actively manage or the interest at that age. Yeah, that's easy for you to say. Yeah, you haven't heard me times <laughs> I have to try and say that. But anyway, yeah. Or the other one is 
you can do an income drawdown where you could do something differently, where maybe if your pot's big enough, you can live off the interest payments, the dividend payments without spending the capital. Now, when you die, because you're not forced to buy an annuity, that is can be inherited by other people. Whereas before, no, that went to the general pool in the annuity company to offset those people that live, that live longer than average, mm-hmm. paid for by the people who live less than average. So it's a lot more flexible, but it does mean now if you mess it up, we're not quite as bad as us. And what people tend to get wrong in Australia and Canada particularly is they underestimate how long they're going to live and they spend too much too fast at the beginning. But that's a, sort of, that's a secondary one. You shouldn't be using that, using your pension uh, to offset for inheritance purposes unless you're a multimillionaire. Because so in which case you've probably got other money sources you don't need to worry about. I think you've convinced me now, Philip that actually we probably should contribute to a pension scheme. As soon as possible. Well, it's leisure to say thank you to Philip, and we'll see you next time. This programme has been presented for information and educational purposes only. None of the information or content of the programme is to be taken as an offer, opinion or recommendation by the programme's hosts or guests to buy or sell securities, nor is it intended to provide legal, tax, accounting, commercial or financial advice. Opinions and comments are based on information from sources believed to be reliable. All investing involves risk as prices go up or down based on a number of factors. Always consider consulting a financial professional before investing.